want to talk about not being conformed this evening. Um, the scriptures will be on the PowerPoint for your convenience, but there's a message at the bottom left-hand corner of each slide. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I encourage you to do so. Our opening text is going to be in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 2. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may me prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, yesterday evening we talked about being bold, that the righteous are bold as lions, and we as, as God's people, as the righteous, we ought to be bold vocally with the things that we do in, in preaching uh, the word of God to our loved ones and our friends and anyone around us, anyone we get a chance to. I mentioned briefly last night that we need to stand up for morality in a vocal way. And what I, what I don't want to do is to, to leave any mistake that just living a godly life isn't important. And this evening I would have talk, like to talk about the importance and how important it is for us to not be conformed to the world, but to live a holy life before God. Some of the pitfalls in that, how easy it is sometimes to get sidetracked. Uh, but I, I want to talk about that holy life, a life of non-conformation. You know what it means to be con, uh, conformed or not conformed. A, a basic definition is to be formed in the same pattern or, or fashioned alike. Uh, I know there's a lot of people in here who have been around. Maybe you've built your own home or watched others do that or you're in some type of the, the construction or contracting industry and you know that whenever you go out to, to make a home that you have to have forms for the concrete. I know there's a lot of slabs around here that houses sit on. And you put up your wood forms or your metal forms and then you pour your concrete into it and as it dries you pull it away and it's in the shape that you desire. The opening slide was cookie cutters. That's what I like. The type of forms I like more so is those sugar cookies and, and they all come out looking alike. You know, in, in the industry of building where people go in and they, they make those cookie cutter houses, we know that they've gone in, they want to make money, they want to make money quick, and it's simple. You have a pattern, you go through there and everything ends up looking alike. You save time, you save money. And, and that's a good way to do business. But that's not what God has called from us as Christians. Not to be these cookie cutter cutouts of how everyone else in the world lives. And, and that's what conforming is. Conforming is, is turning and looking like everyone else around us. And you think about how we struggle with that all of our life. You think back to your childhood. And we all were children in here at one point or another. And sometimes we still struggle with those same desires. Uh, thinking about what other people wear and how other people talk and what other people have. And wanting to have what they have or be like they are. Maybe looking at their athletic abilities or, or their, their, their smarts and things like that. And it is so easy to look out and see other things and other people and want to be like that. Sometimes without us even knowing. God has not called us to be like everybody else. In fact, he said, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformation needs to take place in our life. And for anyone in this room who's obeyed the gospel of Christ, this is what he's calling to you. That once you lived one way, you lived for yourself, you lived for sin. And he said, I want you to change that. I want you to have a transformation in the way that you think, the way that you live. We've all admitted that we were wrong and that we needed Jesus for that change. And so now we got to make that change to not live after our former life. He said that's not, that's not conforming. Whenever we're able to do that, not conform to the world, he said what we can do is prove, or that means to show, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're going to talk another uh, little bit, another sermon uh, this week about one of the simple things that we can do to show what the will of God of, is in our life. But here he says, if you just conform to his image, transform your mind to his way and live according to his works... You'll show people what the will of the Lord is. And how many times do you hear people say today, I just want to know what the will of the Lord is? 
is to live the holy life that he's called you to, not to be like other people. But that's a difficult task. That is a difficult task and because we live in a, in a sinful world, in a sinful society. I think about some of the words that James wrote down, and he talked about pure religion. He said, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this is to visit the, the fatherless and the widows and their afflictions. A lot of times that's where we stop. The last part of that pure religion, and keep thyself unspotted from the world. And that's one of the things that we face in the world. We face a world that is always sticking to us and trying to get dirty spots on it. How many of you have a white T-shirt that you always seem to be wearing whenever it's spaghetti night? I don't know, maybe that's just me. I have like a spaghetti shirt, it seems like. And every time I wear that shirt, it's, it's time to eat pasta or pizza or things like that, and we get so involved, it gets on us, and, or tonight, I dropped my, my tie and my chicken something, I don't remember the name of the dish, but it was good that Marianne made, I always do that, it's easy for our clothes to get spotted, and when, when we work and we live in such close proximity to the world, because we have to, right, that's the people we're trying to met, reach the message uh, of the gospel to, it's easy for them to stick to us. I, sometimes when something sticks to us, it's, it's hard to get off, especially the longer that it stays there. Uh, Ellen grew up in, in West Texas in Lubbock. That's where we lived the first six years we were married. Uh, we had this, uh, our first house that we bought, the, for some reason the long side of the house faced to the west. So the hottest part of the day, it baked onto that, that brick and and I didn't keep a very good yard or landscaping for all, but whenever I was trying to sell the house, I got real invested in making the flower beds look nice, and I brought in the nice black potting soil, and it was a nice contrast against that tannish-looking brick, not as pretty as this. It was kind of ugly, but tannish-looking brick, and then the black flower beds, and I'd go out there. She said I was like this, like I was a little retired man, and I would water that every day by hand. And every time I'd water that flower bed, that black potting soil would splash up on the side of the house. And one of the things I found out really quickly is I couldn't just get in a hurry and leave it there for the day because the West Texas sun was just going to bake it on there. That is the challenge of not conforming to the world around us. And as Christians, we need to be aware that we're not as strong as we think we are. And that sometimes we leave those spots on the side of our house, on our life, and they stick to us and they change us sometimes without us knowing. That's why we have different techniques and, and teachings. There's a whole theme through the scriptures about how to, how to keep our house clean, so to speak, and to not conform. And, it, and part of that is, is to avoid bad, uh, bad influences or things like that. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, he said, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And he goes on about Baalial and righteousness and, and, and all these different things. And he said they don't work together. He ends this whole statement by saying, come ye out, be ye separate, and I will be your God. You'll be my children. A lot of times whenever we read this, or when I heard it growing up, it was, it was just don't marry an unbeliever. Now, listen, that may be in part what he's saying, but it certainly isn't the summation. And you know what I am grateful for is so many of the people who have married an unbeliever, but by following Peter's teachings, they've, they've helped to bring them to Christ. And that's a blessing. That doesn't change the message given to here to us. That, listen, you need to protect yourself as you're out in this world. And you need to make sure that your associations aren't closely the people in the world. We're deceived so easily. Remember the other way that he used it, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. 
It's that deception part. You know, man has always fallen prey to that. This wasn't the only place they used that. You go back into Exodus in 34 before they go in to take the land. And he told them, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars and break their images and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they go whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee and thou eat his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons and their daughters go whoring after their gods and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. This is strong language that God uses. This is very strong language. It's, it's much more strong than what he said in the passage before where he just tells us what fellowship hath light with darkness. But it's the same principle. You want to know where the world went wrong when the world got crazy back in Genesis 6? Look at Genesis 5. He talks about the sons of God and that Sethly Godite line where men called upon the name of the Lord. And then he talks about how they went in and they intermingled into the Canaanite line, into the evil people, and the world went crazy downhill after that. Didn't it? Yeah, destroy it with water. This has always been one of the warnings to God's people. Be careful about your associations. Why? Because they change us. They splash up on us. They'll corrupt us. They'll form us to the mold of society. And they'll steal us away from the will of God. It's so easy to be changed. One of the best things we can do is, is guard our associations. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness and to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned in Christ or learned Christ. Oh, one of the things he gives us is an insight into the way that the world is operating, the way that they think as they live their life. Not that we don't have that insight ourselves because as such were some of us, right? We've walked in those ways so many times. But here again, he places this priority for his people in a similar manner to not conforming. He says, I don't want you... I'm going to get this thing before the week's over. He says, I want you from this point forward to not live your life like them. That's that walking... Emptiness, that's what vanity is, in the emptiness of their mind. A life alienated from God through ignorance. There's a lot of people who do what they do because they just don't know about God. I mean, that's, that's always been, I guess, the idea. A downfall of man is a lack of knowledge. My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Even God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But people inside of the world, they're going about their lives. They're doing what they're doing. They have no thought for what's right or wrong so often. And... <sighs> I think about that and I go, well, I mean, there's some people that have some moral code and some moral standard. And I think the, the differing idea here is there's some people who watch what a Christian will do and live like a Christian will live, and they'll go, why do you do that? And they look at the way that maybe a husband will try to guard himself in his conversations with other women, and, and they'll think, hey, you know, this is one of the things I heard all the time, I shouldn't have to give up my, my friends that are girls just because I get married. But, you know, a Christian man is knowing, I need to guard myself. And, and they might someone watch someone put in these big safeguards so that their wife can trust in them, or vice versa, and some of the world is going, that doesn't make any sense. Their mind is alienated from a practice that is that safeguarding. You know, there's other things that people look at. Well, why don't, you, why don't you drink and why don't you do this and why don't you do all these other things? 
Well, because we want to walk this spiritual life. And for so many people, those principles seem foreign and conflicting. And I'll tell you, there's so many times, especially for people who've grown up, and thank God that you did, grew up in the church as you watch the way that people live their lives and you can see obvious and glaring differences. But what happens is because of association and influence and time, eventually our mind and our hearts become a little bit blind too. And we get past feeling. You know, I, I think about hardened criminals. I think about those people as being past feeling, right? The ones who have committed 19 murders. I was watching a document the other day about a, a mob hitman. 19, 19 kills. It's awful. And the dude talks about it like it was nothing. And I just thought, how, how do you get there? But he's warning us against this kind of thing, right? Getting to this point, living this life that we don't even think about the sins that we're doing as if they're wrong. He warns us about this because it's easy to do. I'm not going to talk on a soapbox this evening or hopefully. There's a lot of different things where I think we could say these are evident things. Things that are very common inside of the church where easily we slide over and we end up doing things and conforming to the world without ever realizing it. Our conscience gets a little bit seared. Our mind's a little bit seared. And we might wake up one day and go, whoa, what have I been doing? I want to just give a few little, little bitty examples of how easy that is. How are you talking? Yes, not with an accent, not a little bit funny, not mispronouncing words like I consistently do. Michael's grace is to point that out. You'll hear more of that, by the way. But, you know, it's not just about the accent, but how are you talking? That's what he wants to know here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. In verse 31, he said, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One of the first things I think about in this verse is talking naughty, talking dirty, curse words and things like that. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom was very very careful about the things that she wanted us to say. And there might be things you said in innocence and you'd find the bar of soap in your mouth. I mean, that's the way that it was. I grew up knowing what were things that I shouldn't say, but you know what I did? I grew up, and because of my associations, one of the hardest habits I've ever had to try to break, I hope that I'm over it, is cussing. I'm here to confess to you. I had a filthy mouth, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry, I did. I regret it. At times when I think that I've gotten over it, I smash my finger. And i got to bite my tongue. Maybe you can relate. It's hard to put away. And a lot of times when I think about talking bad and talking like the world, I just think about that, all that filthy talking out there in the world, all those nasty jokes and, and those dirty four-letter words and things like that. It's easy to conform to the world, not in the most obvious, but think about what he goes on to say. He talks about let all this bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. You know what the world does? They talk nasty about each other. They walk around behind other people's backs and they talk about each other. They go around with the next juiciest piece of gossip and they tell stories on each other. They try to one-up one another. They go around and they tear other people down and that happens. We ourselves find ourselves saying things about people we shouldn't say. It's not just about the naughty words. It's about the words that hurt and cut and bite and divide. And it is so easy because we're around it all the time, a world of competing spirits and people, till we find ourselves talking the same way about the people that we sit right next to. About the people we grew up with, about the people that we worship our God with. And he said, look, it can't be that way. 
That's conforming to the world, and we don't even realize it. Just the way that we talk about each other. You know, we can't have a, a pure, we talked about pure religion earlier. People don't like that religion word nowadays, I guess, but I see it multiple times in the scriptures, and he talks about it real favorably, doesn't he? You think about what James says in James 1 and 26. He says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but, dece- he, uh, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I'll tell you this. If we, co- if we convert or if we, we uh, have this word here, conform to what the world does and talk like them, he said, my religion is worthless. It's empty. It's vain. It's for nothing. Sometimes we forget that. There's a lot of people out there that claim religion. They claim to be spiritual or godly. And God says, I'm listening to the way that you talk. And a lot of people think that that's not a big deal. One of my coworkers, uh, not my current coworkers, when I was a salesman, (laughs) non-evangelist, a salesman, my supervisor, we were talking about these words, things like that, and he said something that I hear a, a similar sentiment uh, God doesn't just, he just doesn't care all that much about what you say. But he does. Because out of the mouth proceed the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? He's judging your heart based off of what you say. And the world says, well, the things that I say, that's not a reflection of me. Every time somebody says something bad in a football game and they go on the news and say, this isn't a reflection of who I am. Well, on some level, it is. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That that doesn't mean we don't falter and say something we regret. That doesn't mean there's no repentance or forgiveness for that. But brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is it's easy to not bridle our tongue and look just like the world. And it's important that we don't. Let's not conform. Let's watch what we say. Let our religion be pure before Lord. Let it be something that is meaningful. Let's not be deceived in our own heart and think that we ourselves can't conform to what the big bad world is doing because let's be honest, we do. But we got to fight that. Another thing that I think maybe might be easier to see is, is something like parenting. I, I am not the pro-parent in the least. I'm, I'm still struggling my way through it right now and watching people who've done it before and, and with a lot of respect. I hear people say all the time, I wish there was a guidebook. There is. I mean, there is. And, and one of the things I found out about being a parent is sometimes it's hard for us to just take what it says in the guidebook and do it because the world doesn't want to accept what the guidebook says. This is a very simple passage, Proverbs 13 and 24. He that spareth his rod hates his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth betimes. We don't say chasteneth betimes. It, uh, it means early and often. It's talking about consistency is what that means. Spanking your children. We call it getting a whooping. I got a lot of them for way too long. But the world doesn't think it's a good idea, right? They don't even call it spanking. They don't call it beating. He's not talking about beating the dog meat out of your kids till they can't stand. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about abuse. He's talking about giving them correction, teaching them from a young age that there are consequences for our actions. And he said if we do that consistently, what's it going to do? It's going to spare our children. It's going to show them love. But you know what I hear today? Whoopings don't work. Spankings don't work. And I don't know if people think about it this way, but they're telling God, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what they're saying. I'm not here to tell you how many things are a whipping offense. <laughs> I'm not here to tell you how many times you got to give them swats. All I know is this is a simple teaching in the world around us, the professionals, right? Professionals. 
They say it doesn't work. They say it creates beaters, it creates abusers. They say it does all these different things. But the Almighty God said it works. You know, he said foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And this is a, it's a very complex thing. I mean, I, mean it's, I guess it's not. A spiritual problem, that's foolishness, right, in the heart. And he said it's a physical tool that does a spiritual work, right? Foolishness in the heart, a rod drives it out. And if we do it the way God says, I've got to think that it's going to work. But we buy into it. I hear people in the church buying into it. I myself have to fight that as a daddy. If God says it's going to work, believe him that it's going to work. How are we training our children? How are we teaching our children? I think all of us in here would probably say we got to teach our children, we got to train our children. I know it's not just about the rod, Ephesians 6, 4, specifically to the fathers. He says, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. A lot of times I think about nurturing, like going over to mama and getting a big hug. That word is probably more so with the whipping part of the verse. It's the correction, and, and admonition is the teaching aspect. But still, we can't have just the whippings and none of the teachings. We have to have the whys. We've got to have the hows. We've got to have the love behind it, all of those things. We have to train our children with what God wants in their life. And you know what the world does? They put God on the back. They have the three F's in life, right? Faith, family, friends, and stuff like that. That's a pretty common saying. See it on a lot of fireplaces. I'm not saying that's wrong. Uh, I think that's probably a good order there. Faith right there at the beginning. But how many people with their life and the way they train their children say that faith isn't first, that God isn't first? You know what's first? Science fair. How many people say that faith isn't first and that God isn't first? Homework's first before, before church. How many people say that ball games and ball practice is first over the Bible studies and the assemblies? How many of our children are growing up and they're going to be great accountants and they're going to be great doctors and they're going to be great public speakers and they're going to be great ball players and they're going to be great lots of things in the world but they can't be a daddy and they can't be a mama and they can't preach the word of God and they can't sit and convince the gainsayers. You know, the world is all about the world. And they can suck us into this lifestyle, this busy, crazy lifestyle, so that we miss the most important things. And as parents, you and me, we, we've got to fight. We can't be just like them. We've got to stand up. And we've got to teach our children what's the most important thing. God's way. God's way first. It's hard to stand out and be different. It's hard to not conform. But folks, that's the mission before us. As parents, it's hard not to conform. And I stand as the number one in saying that it's difficult. In my own home, in my own family, in religion, as congregations, I think history would teach us that it's hard to consistently live in a way that honors God without looking at other religions and, and people around us and not conform to what they do. Uh, I think it's a very interesting story in John chapter 4 where Jesus comes up to this woman at the well and uh, after he's told her a few things that made her uncomfortable about her life and her, 
or shacking up with a fella in her marital situation. She changed the subjects. I don't know her tone here, but I know she didn't want to talk about her sinful life. And so what she does is she speaks up and she asks a question. She says, our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh that ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship ye know not what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And one of the things I look at here is she's sitting here going, listen, listen, I perceive you're a prophet, you're smart in these spiritual matters, but I want, you to, I want to tell you about my people. My people aren't these traditionalists, like all of you Jews here in Jerusalem. Uh, we're out here in nature. We're out here closer to God, right there under the trees he created. And I feel so close to him when I'm out there. And that's where we worship. I hear that argument a lot today. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love being out there in nature. I, I love sitting out there on a foggy, cool morning in late fall, hearing the birds waking up and watching the deer start moving. And it's wonderful. And Sometimes I don't stay awake to hunt. I'll fall asleep in that peaceful moment. Sometimes I'll break out the book and read it because you know what? You can really behold something beautiful and wonderful. I don't know what all these Samaritans felt, but they had obviously strayed away from the correct type of worship and she was trying to justify. And she said, you people are traditionalists, but us contemporary people, we're really in touch with, what, with God. We're really very spiritual, wouldn't you say? And Jesus doesn't justify her. In fact, he said, actually, you don't even know what you worship. <laughs> he doesn't have to really go into all the details of it. He said, the way that you worship, you know it's not right. You know that the worship is supposed to be done in the right place in the right way, and you're not doing that. And he said, whenever you worship in a way other than what I've commanded you, it's as if you're not even worshiping the same God. You don't know who you're worshiping. I hear this argument today, and it is this contemporary versus traditional argument. Congregations and churches in your community, in my communities, in other communities, you sit down and you'll have talks with, with people. Churches of Christ. I'm not talking about other mainstream religions. I'm talking about the churches of Christ, who they watch everybody else around them, and they say, I want a piece of that action. I want a piece of that excitement. I want a piece of that, that energy, something different. Because that's what they think wins people to their pews. And it does. It wins people to pews, but it doesn't win hearts and minds to God. And people talk about the, the same old traditional worship versus this contemporary and new and modern worship. How the old is, is unexciting and uneventful. I, I don't know. Those just aren't the right terms. And Jesus defined the terms here. It's not about contemporary and traditional. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's not about any person being better than the other person, but all of us realizing that we're subject to give the Lord and worship what He's asked for. But God's people have looked around and they said, I want to be like these other folks. You know, He's called for true worshipers. Not just worshiping in a spirit-filled spirit way with all of their heart, but even the mechanics that He's asked for a lot of people are looking for that excitement. I'll tell you what, it was exciting in here to me this evening, and I hope it was to you. You open up your hearts and your voices, and you can tell. There should not be 
a worship service that we walk to, walk into, a, a true worship of the saints where it is uneventful, where it is dead and lifeless and singing. If our hearts are behind it, I don't care if there's 10 people in here, if there's 200 people in here, we're going to have a heart spiritual service, a heart-filled service, and you're going to feel the energy in the air, and you're going to feel the commitment that your brothers and sisters have to God, and you're going to feel the reverence that you have knowing that the Lord is there and listening to your songs and listening to your prayers, and men are going to put great effort into what they say from this pulpit. And they're going to try very hard as they stand on the Bible and the Scriptures to preach the truth. And there is nothing dead about that. There is nothing uneventful about that. There is nothing that is just old-fashioned and traditional. It's right. It's good. It's what He's asked for. And we don't have to force on Him anything else, but we can form whenever we just say, I guess I just want to be like everybody else. It's so easy to conform. And that's my only point this evening. We could talk about a lot of different ways that it's easy to conform as the saints. These are just a handful of things that might be very apparent. Maybe they're not. They seem apparent to me in some of my life and and dealings. Think about your life. Give yourself a good once-over, a twice-over. Give the more earnest heed, as he says. And look and say, is there any way that I'm looking more like the world than I'm looking like Jesus? You know, the truth is he's called us to be different because he's different, right? In Matthew 15 and verse 18, let's go to 1 Peter 1. I've already talked too much on that one. 1 Peter 1 and verse 14 says, Obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You know, I think this is a very high calling that he's called us to. Not to mediocrity. Not to mediocrity. I don't know which one of those is the right word there. Maybe they both work. Do they work? The second one. Take the second one. The one that I said the second time. He hasn't called us to just be mostly holy. A little bit holy. Holy when I feel like being holy. Holy if it's convenient for me. He's called us to be holy. Why? Because He's holy and He can command that. He deserves that. And He says, be like me. Don't fashion yourself like other people according to your former lust. Don't be satisfied with the old way of living. Be like Him. You know, sometimes a parent can give a commandment just because it's beneficial for them. Please be quiet right now. I need to think. That's okay. It may seem arbitrary to our children at times, but that's not why God gives commandments. Whenever he gives commandments, like be holy, you better believe it's because it's going to be good and profitable for us, like all the commandments of God are. And I want you to think about the prophet and not conforming to this world, but living a holy life like he is holy. It's because he's called us to be ambassadors. And even though we do need to be vocal in the way that we preach and teach to people, your life can send a message. Your life should send a message to everyone else. And only a truly holy life will send a message. In 1 Peter 2, in verse 9, he says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained 
mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas uh, they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the days of visitation. He said, I chose you. And not, he's not just talking about Timothy, and he's not just talking about Brother Ty. He's saying he's chose all of us in the sense of calling people to his church. Anyone who will conform to his image, that's who he's called. And all those people who respond to that calling, that gospel. He said, you're this royal priesthood and your life should stand out as a clear message. Like a light shining on a hill we'll read about in a minute. It should declare how glorious he is. It should declare how wonderful he is. It should show people the church that he's established, the type of morality that he has, a higher standard. We should be a light to the world. And as the scripture says, is your light hidden under a bushel? That's the easy way through life. That last part there, he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles or the unbelievers that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they behold glorify God in the day of visitation. If you live a holy life, I guess that's peculiar, means beyond usual or beyond the normal. If you live beyond the moral life, up to God's code, there's people who are going to look at you and go, not only why are you doing that, but they're going to be upset because you do that. Because the very life that you live condemns some of the actions that they themselves take. On a daily basis. The peculiar people that we ought to be. The beyond usual people we ought to be. The holy people we ought to be. Will bring ridicule. And that ridicule is hard to take. That's a lot of what we talked about last night. About why we're not as bold as we ought to be. It's easier to blend in. It's easier to dress the same way that they dress. It's easier to talk the way that they talk. It's easier to worship the way that they worship. It's easier to parent the way that they parent. It's easier to do all these things the way they do than to stand out and have to defend it all the time. It's easier to do all the things that they do instead of having it there and say, well, this scripture says, or it is written, or it is written. You think about that? Whenever Jesus stood up to Satan, he kept having to say, it's written, it's written. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's faint. And he's having to say over and over, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's what you're going to have to do. But we can make it all go away. All we have to do is turn off the holy, right? All we got to do is look like everybody else. Remember, that's what Peter did. We picked on Peter last night. We'll pick on him again tonight. You remember Jesus told him that before the cock uh, crew three times, that he'd deny him three times? You remember those three denials? The first time in that denial, he just denied and said, I don't know what you're saying. And you look there in verse 72, and he denied the next time with oath. I, I swear it. And then the last time, he, he said, well, I can't convince him any other way, so I'm just going to start cursing. I'm just going to start swearing. Maybe they'll get it then because they said, oh, my speech sounds like I'm... This Galilean. So he said, well, I'll just talk like everyone else talks. I'll talk filthy. He knew how to make it go away, to make the questions stop, to make the scrutiny stop. You want people to stop looking at your life and examining you live like them. You don't want to have to answer the questions about why you do this as a parent. Do everything like everybody else. You don't want to have to answer questions about why you dress the way that you dress. Dress like everybody else. And don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging that. We can make the question stop. 
Or we can stand up for what's right and have a golden opportunity to teach, to be that royal priesthood who's given an opportunity for people to look and see a glimpse of God in us. He's called us to use our life as a teaching opportunity. Don't blend in with the world. I I think one of the most dangerous things about blending into the world is we're trying to wear the name Christian, but at the same time, we're not living like we ought to, so everyone thinks that's what Christian is. You know, that's what this verse is about here in Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 33, says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle and putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. When the eye is single, thy, thy whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy whole body is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. So the first principle is this. Let your light shine, right? Let your light so shine before men they may see the glory of the Father, uh, or they may see the works of the Father and glorify him, right? That's a bad paraphrasing, but you know the verse I'm talking about. And that's the idea. Be this light shining. For Jesus, But he goes on, he says some other things. If your eyes single or the things that you take in in life, like your associations, the things that you're around, those things that can jump up and spot you, if you take in consistently evil, what do you think is going to happen? Our heart's going to be evil, produce evil. But he said, if our eye is single and we take in light, we'll be light. But the part I really want to focus in on is he says, take heed therefore that the light which is in thee be not darkness. And this seems like a very contradicting sentence, maybe an oxymoron. How can your light be darkness? I've heard of black lights, right? Black lights that have bluish or purple in color and everything. I don't know. He's probably wasn't talking about black lights. But he said your light can be darkness. The idea here is that no matter what you're doing or how you're living, you're shining some type of light. Now, we could be shining the light of God and his works his morality, and his glory with the way that we live a non-conformed life to the world, but we live for him in holiness. Or we can live a life that's just like everybody else, and we're confusing the situation. We confuse people. You think about that? If I claim that I am Christian, but I handle my marriage like everybody else out in the world, you know what they think? That's how Christians handle their marriages too. If I live fast and loose with alcohol and drugs and I claim to be Christian, what do people think? That's how Christians live. That might sound like overstatements, but it's the truth. And if we claim to be, that's why Jesus told the Laodiceans, you're lukewarm and I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be all the way for me than to be just kind of for me and given a misrepresentation of me. I'd rather you not be for me at all. That doesn't mean God doesn't want you. He's saying don't Don't give out the bad light. What does your life say to other people? I'm a Christian, but I'm just like you. So here's the question then. If we're a Christian, but we're just like everybody else in the world, do you really have something that they need to hear? Do you really have the advice that they need to hear? Do you really have the gospel that they need to hear? Why ask you a question if you're just like them? You remember that he told us to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts 
and be ready always to give an answer to every man to ask you through a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What I don't believe this means is that we have to be ready with a scripture right, right away when somebody asks you on every subject. Teach to me about premillennialism. Let me call Pat, right? You know, things like that. That's, it's not about that. It's about being able to find it. And it is about the pursuit of having knowledge in us so we can ask answered the, the questions about why we do what we do. You remember whenever the Hebrews, they were to, during the Old Testament law, were to observe the Passover, he said, because you'll do this over and over and over, and your kids will eventually say, why do you do that? And you can teach them about it, right? And what happens if you live a godly and moral life before the people in your workplace, whenever they have problems, and if you're a good husband or a good wife, and you have a good marriage, and you have good children, someday someone's going to look at you as having problems, and they go, you know what? This brother, he's got a good marriage. He's got good children, and he's got a good life. I bet he has something to say on the subject. You have credibility now. What about somebody who's overcome a problem in their life? And they know it, that you, maybe you once had a problem, but you fixed it. And people know that. And then people can say, you know what, he's got answers. But if you look just like everybody else, they don't need to ask you a question. They don't need to find out why you live the way that you live. Because they're already living that way. It's important that we live this non-conformed life. That we live this holy life. Because it gives us a platform to answer questions whenever they inevitably Asked. One of the questions I feel like we probably need to ask ourselves, if I haven't been getting the questions at times through my life, am I really living the life that I ought to? I believe people will ask us questions if we're living for Him. Let's re-examine our life as Christians, not, not because Brother Lee said so, or, and not because any other man said so, but, but knowing that we are, are fragile humans. And that we are easily impressionable. And we can deceive ourselves very easily and be corrupted by evil communications. Let's re-examine our life, knowing who we are, to figure out what we need to be. Let's remember Romans 12. To not be conformed to the world. And if you look in your life and you see things there that people are struggling with in the world, change that. Change that for you tonight. Because you know those who... Those who commit the works of the flesh, he said, I've told you before, as I've told you in times past, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And if there are evil works in your life, works like the world, and you want to go to heaven, change it tonight. We'll help you with it. Everyone in here in times past had walked like other Gentiles and have problems and sins and frailties, and, and they'll approach you this evening and they'll help you to fix your life. They'll take you from a cookie-cutter house and they help you conform to the image of Jesus, just like somebody else has helped them in their life. Maybe you've never conformed to Christ at all in your life. You've never obeyed His gospel. You've never been in the likeness of His death, bell, and resurrection through obedience and baptism by faith in the operation of God, and you want to do that tonight, or you want to know more about that and conform to His image. If you have a spiritual need, if you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, if you want to be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, let us know 